Hello there and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Adam White and Samuel Rook. The transfer window slammed shut last night, leaving some relieved and some a little peeved. But more on that and the weekend's fixtures as well as Coupe de la Ligue action after the latest headlines. Paris Saint-Germain qualified for the Coupe de la Ligue final on Tuesday night with a 3-2 win over Rennes at Rojan Park. Thomas Mounier, Marquinhos and Giovanni Lo Celso gave the away side a strong lead before Kylian Mbappe saw his first red card of his career for a poor challenge on Ismaili Saar. New signing Diafra Sacco sparked a comeback for the home side, but Sanjin Purchase's goal was a little too late to really trouble the league leaders who head into their fifth cup final in a row. They There they will meet Monaco, who powered through their own semi-final against Montpellier. A Falcao double set up a repeat of last, year final, last year's final uh, with the Monegasque ready to get some revenge. In transfer news, there was plenty of interesting deals in Ligue 1 in the final moments of the window. Mathieu Debussy returns to France on a six-month deal with Saint-Étienne, the busiest team of the window in France. While there were also a return to the shores for Martin Braithwaite, who heads to Bordeaux on loan from Middlesbrough. Clément Grenier will look to resurrect his form at Gangomp. Enzo Crivelli has swapped Angers for Caen in a temporary move. And Jeff Ryan Adelaide has joined Crivelli's parent side with Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger, asking him to make the most of a move home. Out of Liga heads Lucas Moura, who's gone to Tottenham, and two surprise moves for Le Verre, with Brian Darbo heading to Fiorentina and Florentine Pogba off to Turkey. Back to matters on the field, Antoine's home game against Dijon this weekend has been postponed. Flooding at the Stade de l'Aube has uh, forced the move, while the fixture will be now played on Tuesday, the 20th of February. And that's all for now. But for all your latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with those games in midweek. And the first one that came across was the really interesting game at Roseanne Park between Paris Saint-Germain and Rennes. Eventually, Paris Saint-Germain showed their quality really in, in holding on in the end, Adam. The real talking point really of that game is is the man who was sent off in, in Kylian Mbappe. It's his first red card of his career. Um, he was seen coming off the pitch saying he had a, was staring directly at the camera really and saying he had a similar challenge a couple of weeks ago and nothing was done. It's still a naughty one though, isn't it? It doesn't excuse exactly what he's done to, to poor Saar. No, it doesn't. Um, it, it definitely doesn't excuse what he did to, to Saar. And, I, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but he's not that sort of player. And I know that gets said about a lot of players a lot of the time, but he's sort of seen this sort of a, a very sort of fun, fun-loving, and he sort of plays a game with a smile on his face. And, you know, I'm surprised because it was... I don't see an attempt to play the ball in that challenge. Um, for those who didn't see it, um, Ismail Saar is sort of running away from him with the ball. And uh, he sort of scrapes his studs down the back of his calf and actually ripped his sock. So, you know, it was, there was force applied. Made, I can see no attempt to play the ball and it, it was a sending off. He, he deserved to go. Whether someone had done it to him previously or not, it's in isolation. It's, it's a red card. And um, I think he perhaps 
but I felt a bit hard done by given that you know he, he claims that it happened to him recently and that he definitely wouldn't have been sent off if it hadn't been for VAR. I think the referee was was you know going to book him before he saw the replay and you know I think the right decision was arrived at. Um, I think he deserved to be sent off. Um, I mean I hope it'll be it'll be something of a little bit of a learning experience for him and and he, he of course he's an unbelievable player and will bounce bounce back from it. But um, I definitely sending off, and you're absolutely right. It was it was a naughty challenge. I'm a little bit disappointed that he would he would do that. I don't think he needed to. They were winning the game comfortably. It got a bit it got a bit niggly at, at points, didn't it? it got a, there was a bit of needle there at, from then on and before then. But yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that that he he felt the need to make that challenge because I wouldn't expect it of him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if he complains about being fouled, I watched um, the game on Friday between Dijon and, and Ren, and I think I counted on my fingers and toes really out to um, the t- amount of times that someone tried to kick a poorish Miley Sorry, It's like he's being hit from pillar to post for, uh, for most games and even against the best teams, it seems as well. But that red card led to a bit of a scramble, really, Sam, in the, in the last sort of half an hour. Ren did come really back into the game. They were a little bit unlucky to see Benjamin Andre's effort ruled out just before they did eventually score. And the sort of comeback came a little bit too late, but it was a little more close to comfort than Paris Saint-Germain after about that 60 minutes would have would have felt it should have been. Yeah, I mean, I was under the misapprehension that it was going to be a two-legged affair and it kind of ended up feeling like that a little bit. It almost felt like two different games. <clears throat> Before and after Mbappe sending off, um, Ren were very much outclassed. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, in the in the first period of the game, they were 3-0 down. Mbappe goes off, they find themselves. And, you know, it's one of those where it feels like if the game had gone 10 minutes longer, we might have had a draw. We might have had even more drama in this game that, that already had plenty. Ren eventually gave a good fist of, you know, gave a good account of themselves and must come away feeling pretty good, disappointed, obviously. But, but yeah, certainly if the game had gone a little longer, who knows what could have happened? What could have happened? Yeah, I bet Ren are absolutely sick of the sight of seeing blue shirts facing against them week in, week out. That's the fourth time they've played them this season and still yet to get a, a victory. But this was closer than some of the more recent affairs, at least, and a, a bit unfortunate. But we are going to see a repeat of the final that we had last year with Monaco also surpassing Montpellier, who had a, a really good cup run. But two goals from Falcao, but a, a, a return possibly, Adam, to the to the form that we've we've seen that the last couple of weeks. It's been a bit iffy for him again before the winter window, uh, before the uh, winter break. He was a little bit off the pace as well. But two good goals and maybe a sign of, of things to come. Yeah, I think that he's, you're right. His First of all, his form hadn't been great. It wasn't bad by any means, but, he, you know, the goal tally had kind of slowed a little bit and he hasn't been as as sort of the centre of attention. He hasn't been as evident in, in, in games of, of late, um, particularly the game at Marseille at the weekend. He was he was disappointing and um, didn't didn't really affect the game as much as he would have liked or I imagine Jardim would have hoped. Uh, so, you know, that's disappointing. But Falcao, given, since he's returned to Monaco, He's been unbelievable and he was fantastic in last season when they won the league and, and is their captain. And I, I feel like it was just a momentary <clears throat> sort of decline in form and uh, to, to sort of a blip. And, and he's, he's still an unbelievable forward, still one of the best in Europe. And as he, as he showed last night, he is very much capable of bouncing back from that. The goal in particular where he sort of flicks, the ball comes into him around the penalty spot and he sort of flicks up and then volleys it into the, in a sort of very sort of, very sort of finesse way that he didn't necessarily like, you know, wasn't too spectacular, but it's still a very graceful goal and he's a very graceful player. And um, I imagine that he'll be back to, back to his, you know, his, his best, best form 
he, immediately. I imagine he's, you know, last night's game proved that he's well on his way. So um, huge. He's still huge for Monaco, especially since the, the departures in the summer. And um, without him, they wouldn't be challenging for top four, I don't think. And so to get him back into the goals and get, get him back playing is what, the way they, they think he should and that he should be is, is great news for Jardim. Absolutely. And it's great to also see that um, for one of the first times really in French football, at least, that VAR was used as well in two relatively big decisions. A penalty was given um, that was overturned and, and a goal uh, disallowed, Sam. Um, a lot of people have questioned about this topic. I, I think I, I, I'm a big proprietor of the VAR, really. But two right decisions, two examples that this could be the way forward for French football as well as, as European football as it looks to be heading that way. This was a much better example. If you wanted to show someone they are when it works, you'd show them this game. You'd show them, well, look, there was a penalty. It was given. <clears throat> they took a second, looked at the video. They said, well, actually, no, it's not a penalty. It was overturned. And that's fine. No, no time is wasted. The game, the flow of the game isn't arrested. No problem. Great. Ronnie Lopez thought he'd scored. Again, the game's already stopped. Look at the video quickly. Oh, it's not a goal. Okay, fine. So that, that's perfect. That's what you want out of, out of the technology. If, we, if we're going to have it, it's the way we're going to go, and it certainly seems it's the way we're going. This is how you want it to be used. You want it to be used quickly, effectively, efficiently. They got both decisions right. They were tough decisions. I mean, certainly Jovetic live, I mean, I thought it was a penalty, but you come back, you see the replay, you know, okay, well, fine, I'll see what they've seen, and it's overturned. Great. I mean, that's, that's very much what you would hope they are becomes once they sort of get the kinks ironed out because – it didn't hurt the game. It only helped the game and helped us eventually get to the right result. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to make the point for a lot of people that say it takes a long time to review the decisions. The amount of time I've seen it because players are still screaming in the ear of the referee while he's trying to possibly hear what the fair of referees are saying is a, is probably an extension of that. Just a quick um, breaking news, really, that I wanted to bring to you both. It's come up from our, our Twitter account that um, you everyone will remember League and referee Tony Chaperon. He's been handed a three-month suspension for kicking non-player Diego Carlos in a league match last month um, after the player obviously unintentionally not to move out. I'll, I'll throw this very quickly at you, Adam, really. Um, is that a good enough suspension for you? Is that long enough of a of a time off for, for a, a, what was one of the most bizarre things we've ever seen from a referee in, in all of football? Yeah, yeah, it really was incredible. I was flabbergasted watching it live. It was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I think it's very difficult because it's so unprecedented. It's very difficult to say what's a just suspension for him. And I, I kind of feel like that it was in the heat of the moment. And, you know, he, he saw he clearly saw a red miss. He clearly thought he'd been tripped deliberately. Clearly wasn't the case. And obviously he's a match official, so he, that kind of behaviour is definitely very sort of unbecoming. And but I, I think to, to write him off and, and to you know ban him for years or you know to sort of revoke his license perhaps or whatever, I think that's probably a bit harsh. I mean, it's one mistake. Admittedly, it's a pretty big one, but I don't think he should be sort of crucified for that. So three months. I mean, it's a pretty pretty it's still a pretty long punishment. Um, and I think that's probably about okay. I mean, I can understand the point of view where some, you know, you might say that a match official has tried to kick a player, which is ridiculous, and you know he should be punished more severely. But I think it's one incident, and and it, it's it's comical more than anything else. And and it, obviously we would you wouldn't condone that sort of behaviour at all. But it's I still feel like that yes, he should be he should be banned, and it should be relatively lengthy like it is. But we should then all move on from 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 the farce that was that 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 incident so 
just about fair enough. But I can understand the point of view of banning him longer. But I, I, I would, uh, a little bit on the side of leniency, I, it'd be a bit harsh to sort of crucify him first with that one event. His whole career is a bit harsh. Yeah, absolutely. And just to also confirm, I've just seen reports from uh, Timothy Kleppin, who's a, a reporter for France Football. The LFP has supposedly done a six-month suspension with a three-months suspended. So it is three months, because how a referee is going to be able to get that suspended sentence extended, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Another incident. If he does it again, he gets his three months added on. Like, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> a bit of... Originally, Sam, that suspension sounded about fair. Now it sounds a, a little, a little bit farcical, really. It was as if they've tried to say we would punish him this harshly, but instead we'll sort of make it seem like it's harsher than it is. Does that the wording of that's very strange, isn't it? Well, it's a farcical punishment for a farcical event. I think the whole thing was just so very silly. It's just it was a thing that Lee Gun really doesn't need. It doesn't need silliness because you know you get so many people criticizing Lee Gun's quality and. When you see the highlights, what Neymar does, people say, well, yes, but look at the defenders, whatever. Little things like this don't help the league. Um, but at the same time, yeah, if, you, if you've given him, you know, a two-year suspension, and the fact is the guy's retiring anyway. So it's a bit like when Anelka got an 18-match ban after the World Cup. I mean, he was never going to play again. It didn't matter. It was all very silly. So, you know, I think this is the best thing to do here is just say, well, he's suspended to the end of the season. He was never going to be a referee again anyway. It's finished. Let's just move on. Yeah, very, very peculiar stuff. I, I would like to see him possibly get that a suspended sentence extended. I can't, can't imagine he would try to do it again. Um, let's move on to the, some more craziness, really, and that's the transfer deadline day. And it always is, and it, it didn't fail to disappoint. There were some really interesting moves, really, within Liga and as well as, as out of, of, of the league as well. Let's start with players that joined the league or, or moved in around it. And I want to start with um, the sort of strange one in a way. In And one of the teams that have signed a lot of players this season in, in, uh, is uh, Santetien, who've brought in Matteo Debussy to add to Subosic and Supertic and, uh, and Tep and Mvia. Um What do you think to this move, Adam? I mean, if anything, right back is one of their strengths where you think of Sadienko and possibly Ronald Pierre Gabriel is a player in that position as well. It, it seems a, a little bit of a, a strange one. Yeah, I, can, I definitely see where coming from that they've got options in that position, and I like Ronald Pierre Gabriel. I think he's I think he's very good. He's still nineteen, and he's he's definitely had some moments in Sanetian where he's looked like being able to kick on and make the position his own. But like I said, he is still nineteen, and the the sort of learning from someone like Matthew Debussy is a very experienced player, and at one time an extremely good player when he was at Arsenal before his injury. He was very very good before Bellerin broke into the team. Um, could be could only be good good for him. And I think from Sanetian's point of view, they need experience. Given the position that they're in, they need players who uh, are are wiser and a little bit more streetwise and um, capable of sort of a little bit more match smart. They've got a lot of young players, a lot of inexperienced players, and the, the squad's a little bit sort of apart aside from Peran and Rufia, it's a little bit sort of disparate. It's sort of a collection of of signings and young youth products and one or two guys have been around for a while. And I think they need that kind of security that someone like Debushi, Nevin Supertic. And Yan and V have been around for quite a long time. Remy Cabela is another one who's there as well to add to Peran and, and, and Rufia to sort of add that stability, which given that this is probably one of their worst seasons ever after the, the 5 0 defeat to Leon and the fact that they're struggling at the bottom of the table and the Garcia and incident where he sort of resigned and they haven't really got a manager at the moment, it's, it's a terrible time for them. So they just need players who are wise heads, who will calm everybody down, who will have a positive impact, in, impact on the, the camp at training and 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 in games as well. And Debussy's one of those players. Um, I, I'm still not sure 
whether quality wise he's going to last too long you know in have sort of owning that right back position because you said Yanko is decent as well and Gabriel's there and even Teofo Katrin's played there you know he was a right back who's at Cardiff and he was a right back for a long period at Sanetian too <clears throat> when he was at Bordeaux which is now a quite long time it was like 18 months ago when he was on loan there he did look to shadow the player that he was before he got that injury and he, he really didn't have the impact that they hoped he would have and it's so that that is definitely a worry here. I know he's done okay for for Arsenal in the Europa League when he's played played at centre back a little bit too, and and hopefully you know he wasn't really fit when he was at Bordeaux, and he, hopefully he, that fitness has returned. So hopefully that's a positive Sanetian, and he can have a positive impact. But I think it's just that you know he's he's a proven player and he has quality that has has been proven in this league and and in England in the past, and they just need that steadying influence. Well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? He's, he's played a little bit of football in Europa League, but you still really worry about his fitness. That would only yeah. really equate to maybe six. He pl- I know he played in the FA Cup game, so maybe about seven games this season, but it's not a great amount to say he's going to have to jump into the real fire pit that is Saint-Etienne. And staying on, though, that team, Sam, they also let two players go, surprisingly, really, on, on deadline day. And, and two relatively impressive ones, you would say. I mean, Brian Darbo's headed to Fiorentina. He had a very good start to the season, but again, has maybe sort of been less used since uh, since Oscar Garcia left. And Florentin Pogba, who is headed to Turkey of all places and a, a team I, I don't even try and pronounce, so I'm not going to even attempt that one. Um, but it, both of those moves seem a little bit out of left field. They, they were both kind of involved in the squad still, especially Pogba. It's, it seems a little bit strange to allow those players of quality when they need to keep as many as they can at the moment, uh, let them go. I suspect that it's possibly something to do with finances that the players, I mean, if you look at the players that San Antonio have brought in one loan signing, three free transfers, it's clearly not a lot of money around, but then again, those players will come on wages, probably quite significant wages in the cases of what Subotic and uh, probably Debushi as well. Um, that cloth has got to be cut somewhere. And, you know, perhaps these guys, I mean, Pogba, Who's had his issues this season? Certainly, sort of had quarrelled with the the authorities at the club, and perhaps they thought, well, someone's offered us some money. We can sort of balance the books here a little bit, and the signings that they've made should be enough to keep them up, reassess this squad in the summer, and you know, Pogba aging, not getting any better. Certainly, if we don't know what what they were offered for him, but perhaps it was enough to to, to make it seem worthwhile. Mm, yeah. I just don't feel that the Pogba one especially just doesn't... It's more that not just Saint-Étienne letting him go. I would think there would be possibly other clubs in France and maybe even bigger clubs in Turkey that were looking at him. But to go to a mid-table side seems a bit of a weird backward step for him, even though Saint-Étienne are struggling this season. Another interesting move and one I've in fact talked about this week. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen, but it has happened semi-permanently at least for now. And that's Martin Braithwaite heading to Bordeaux on loan from Middlesbrough. It's been a tough time for him, really, in England. He's not really settled at the club, and, and Tony Pulis hasn't quite found a place for him since he's joined. So he's allowed him to to move back to France, where he has had some success, really, with Toulouse. Adam, and he he was pretty impressive, especially in his final season, sort of taking on that mantle of both captain and and main goal scorer. Bordeaux need more goals. Is he a man to bring it? I think he's the he's the man to bring the presence they need up front. They've been playing that four three three under Gorvanek, and it looks like they make they'll probably continue doing that under under Poyet. Um, but I think that they lacked a, like a focal point of their attack. Laborde, Gaetan Laborde, who's been injured quite a lot this season, but he sort of provides that. He was good at Clermont in Ligue 2, and he's been good in spells for for Bordeaux. But his goal record really trailed off at the start of the season when. 
he was in the team and I don't think Nicola Depravel, as much as as much as you and I are both fans of Nicola Depravel, is a very effective player on his day. But he's not a lone striker in a, in a four-three-three, a central striker. He can't hold the ball up, and he needs to be playing close to other players. He needs to be playing either on a, in a wide position or as part of a two-man uh, attack, which is far better. And he can't play a central striker, so we just need presence for Matt, someone, someone that is going to to to, to press. To, to hold the ball up well, to, to bring other players into play that has a bit more physicality about him. And Brafer has all of those things. Um, Goal-wise, goal yes, I think he's going to provide more goals than perhaps the options they've got. And you mentioned his, sort of, his Toulouse career. The last few seasons at, at Toulouse, he got 11 league goals in each season, which double figures in a league and is nothing to be sniffed at. It's a difficult league to score, to score goals consistently. And so that's OK. Um, and I think he'll probably get a similar amount you know, in terms of ratio at, at Bordeaux as well. So in in that respect, he's a positive signing. And, and he was extremely effective for, for 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 Toulouse on the left as well. So there's an option there if if they end up playing another striker in the summer perhaps or and they keep him beyond beyond the end of the this this half of the season or they want to use the board and they can move him out to left. He he's definitely a very willing um runner on those on those areas and is can be very creative when that season they stayed up under Dupraz. Uh, ben Yedda played up front and he played on the left and he was really good really good then so they, it gives him a bit more options it gives him a bit more physicality and hopefully he'll give them a few more goals although prolific I wouldn't say he's going to be going to be that but he'll definitely add the presence that they need Yeah I think they can sort of mix those attackers around a little bit more and now with Malcolm and, and Depravel they can sort of interchange a bit better with uh, Martin Braithwaite who's a little bit more comfortable anywhere really than say sort of more like Francois Comano who's, who's really struggled uh, so far this season um, yeah. probably the most interesting move in France at least um, Sam and to some onlookers in Europe at least is Clément Grenier who's headed to Gangon but it's been a real struggle for the 27 year old since he broke through that it's almost five or six seasons ago now really at Lyon he exploded onto the scene he was he was linked with the likes of Arsenal and, and, and other big European clubs and then injuries really curtailed him he was on loan at Roma for the second half of last season nothing really came of that um, but this Possibly might be the ideal club for him to maybe make that renaissance. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone uh, hopes that Grenier can can get back to the sort of exciting, dynamic player that he was. But as you say, the injuries really do appear to have taken their toll. That Roma spell was probably just this side of a disaster. It really wasn't good. In a, in a good side, he he was really not able to sort of show his quality. Uh, he's not really had a look in at Leon this season, and now to to move to Gangon. That seems like maybe maybe it is the right level for him. Maybe it's the place where he'll be able to to play with some freedom, but also without the pressure. I mean that you know they're not going down, they're not really fighting for a great deal at this point in the season. That they're, they're just kind of floating along, and that might be the best place for him to go, where there's there's really no pressure on him. He'll be they'll be fine. He'll be fine if he doesn't tear up. You know, if he doesn't score goals, create goals, if he just plays okay, that's fine. You know, it's it's a good start, a good place for him to maybe try and restart this career because. There's definitely a player still in there somewhere, but we just have to see if the injuries have really, really, really taken their toll or if he can recover. Yeah, you have to think with the talent around him, like like Briand and Salibur and, and Coco and, and others as well, Ludovic Blar as well, there's there's a lot of good attacking talent in that Gengomp side and allowing him to maybe slowly grow into the role. It's, it's just a shame that his career seems to be emulating the uh, the same curve as someone like Johan Gorkouf where his talent was astronomical at one point but it really really was deterred by a by injury let's hope he can get better and uh, better again um a, another interesting move and a strange one really from from Angers is Enzo Crivelli uh, heads to Caen 
uh, on loan as well. Um, it's an interesting one, really, Sam, because you can't quite see him unseating in Van Santini necessarily, but it's another option for them, another big, strong striker in the mould of Santini that Con can use um, keeping them up, at least anyway, as they start to sort of head into that weird pack of about 10 teams that still are potentially facing the drop. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a pretty shrewd move from Con. I mean, start of the season, they were absolutely flying. Uh, you know, things have dried up a little bit for them, but they've not really, they've not been prolific at all. They've needed more goals. And Crivelli, who himself has not been prolific particularly this season, but it, maybe he's better suited to their style. It's a bit more of a, a hassle and uh, frantic a little bit. Um, it's not going to be a lot of chances created for him, but he, he does fit the mold. As you say, he's big. He's strong. He puts himself about. That fits Kong. Um, he turned down moves to England, apparently. Villa, Wolves, they wanted him. I mean, you've got to really believe in Kong. If this Wolves team particularly, I mean, you know, they're going up. They'll be in the Premier League. To, to turn down a move to England because you believe in this Kong move, if, you know, that's that's great. If this is the, the project that's been sold to him and he can succeed there. I mean, he's still so young. He's only 22. You know, the, he, can, he can still develop into a... A bigger player, a more important player, and moving to Con might be the perfect place for him. Yeah, I mean, turning down a move to Wolves where you could be a, a second option on a team almost guaranteed Premier League football next season, even if he doesn't obviously stay at the club, um, being associated with them and in, in, in this sort of create, excellent run they're on in the Championship would have been possibly a real chance for him to get his name out there a little bit, but um, not to be, it seems. Um, one other final real interesting move really in the, the window and there's one other one I want to mention as well briefly afterwards and it's uh, Jeffrey Adelaide um, who's joined Angers as well as a sort of extra player for their attacking uh, trio uh, Adam it's it's an interesting one really I mean Arsenal really rate the 20 year old he's not played so much this season but an interesting move for again an Angers side being a little bit more adventurous and going for someone uh, that's especially in their position they are uh, a bit of a risk yeah, I, I, don't, I, I can definitely say the point of view, but I, I think that perhaps you, you could argue that this move is a little bit risk-free from Roger's point of view, because as you said, he's, he's, very, he's very highly thought of. He was very highly thought of at Lorient before he went to Arsenal originally. Um, yes, he hasn't played for Arsenal much at all uh, in the last, in the last what, few, few, few months, a year. Uh, not this season at all. Um, but... Given Angers' position, they're one of those 10 sides that you mentioned at the bottom of the table who are going to be fighting against a drop to the end of the year. And without Cavelli, you imagine they're going to move Kartoko Kambi up, up front, um, which is where he's been playing anyway and very effective there. Um, and they've got sort of Guillaume Baptiste in support, which opens up, you know, an extra slot on, 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 in, in sort of the wide areas. And, you know, Angelo Fuggini and Billy Cuckhale Fonfans, Jules uh, Sunu, Flavian Tate, Thomas Well, they've got some options there. But if, if, if he comes in and, and has an impact, which he, he's got the ability to, to do so, then it could be a, a really worthwhile move for them. And it could be good for his development. He gets some first-team football, which he hasn't been getting at Arsenal, of course. Um, and it, it could really help both club uh, and player. Um, but then he could also have very little impact. And, and if, if it doesn't, then, then that's fine. Um, they've got other options in those areas who are capable of who are affecting games and have proven themselves in this league in the past. So... I think it's kind of, it is a bit of a gamble in terms of whether he'll be effective or not, but it's almost, if he is not effective, it's not a huge issue. So a good, a good, like a, a good, a shrewd move perhaps because of his talent and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. 
Yeah, interesting one. Uh, the final one I wanted to mention, because it's not quite a move yet. It's been confirmed, obviously, that um, he'll be joining, but he won't be joining into the summer. And that's Leo Dubois, um, who will be heading to Lyon in the summer. It's a, an excellent little move again, Sam. Lyon are very good at these little clever moves as well, signing players up. Dubois is a, a very good right back. But he's also, if you think of the Lyon side, uh, maybe some might argue that Raphael might be on his way, but Kenny Tete's been impressive this season. It's an interesting one. He's probably going to be the starter, you would assume, so it might ruffle the feathers of those two in the uh, final half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could say that the two of those, Tete and uh, Raphael, are playing for, for one place, really. I mean, Leon, it looks like they'll be in the Champions League. They'll need two starting quality right-backs, both of whom will get plenty of games, but um, they won't need three. So, yeah, very much it seems... Raphael the most likely to leave given Tete's just arrived and Tete's been very good. Raphael's been been fine. You know, he's been Raphael. He's good sometimes. He's not so good other times. Um, I think Tete's a better player. He's also a lot younger. There's more to come from him. But yeah, this is this is a great signing from Leon. And they just you're right, they just do this. Dubois, this this uh January they've also signed Terrier, who's another excellent young France player. Uh, Uma Soleil as well. There's another one from, from Laval. This is just what Leon do so very well. All the signings, they're just the young. Many, many of them are French. They're just big on talent, and they just they know these have this production line where these guys will get games. People will see how talented they are. Eventually, they'll move on, and, and it just starts all, all over again. Leon is excellent at this, and it's signing Dubois is just another, another cracking move from them. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the kind of move that starts starts moving them up an extra little tier that they might need to be next season. As if they can keep on hold of players and have someone like Dubois, maybe bring in another centre back or something like that. Maybe add some extra little bit of depth everywhere else as well. They could be a really good team uh, next season. Um, on to really our favourite really moves and least favourite moves of the window because it's always an interesting one to do. And I'll, I'll start with favourite and I'll start with you on this one. Adam, what's your favourite window coming into Liga in this window? Uh, Lassana Diara, I think. Um, I think it's just, such a, again, a really shrewd signing because he was so good for, uh, for PSG, of course. He was so good at Marseille and uh, for whatever reason, he sort of led a rather strange career and I think he wanted uh, perhaps this exact move when he was at Marseille and it didn't, didn't come to fruition and he ended up being you know, being sort of exiled in, in the Middle East for a bit. But given um, given how good he was at Marseille and how desperately PSG are in need of a defensive midfielder and how perhaps uh, they are worried about spending any sort of significant amount of money given the financial fair play situation, this is such a good signing. And he's experienced, he's, you know, he's a former France international, could be again, um, and will slot in very, very well into that Thiago Motta role and could really be really like surprisingly so could really be crucial in the last sort of few months of the season as they they sort of juggle sort of four competitions and um you know it's it's a really good signing and I'm actually really excited to see him play because like I said he was brilliant at Marseille and, and if he can rediscover that form you know he could even surpass Thiago Mata in that defensive midfield role so great signing and on the cheap as well which is not how PSG normally go about doing things but um really good and I, I look forward to seeing him play. Sam what's your favorite move? I actually had Dubois uh, on my list here. Yeah. But, um, given given we've covered him, I'm going to give a mention to Pietro Pellegri, the the 16 year old, um, the news Latin or or whatever else comparisons you want to make. But this kid that Monaco have signed from Genoa, huge fee for a 16 year old, 25 million euros plus bonuses apparently. But he's this kid who's broken all these records. He's the youngest goal scorer in Serie A history, youngest debutant. First from born in this century to, to play, first born to score, first born to score a double. 
uh, from a purely selfish point of view, I'm I'm excited that he's come to France because we get to watch him and we get to see just how good he is. I mean, if he's anywhere near as good as as he seems like he might be, he's going to be a cracking player to watch, and he he might get games even this season. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I think with Guido Carrillo going as well, I think I mentioned it on the main show that he's got a chance to be that sort of fourth striker at the moment, really, and get a chance maybe behind Kaitabalde and, and Jovetic of getting a couple of games here and there and still in cup competitions. He's got a chance to be in the Coupe de France. Maybe it's it's good opportunities to do uh, a little bit of something for them, at least. Anyway, uh, this uh, this window. Um, the, yeah, there's a few moves that I really like. That you can pick out a few, really. I, I quite like Diafra Sacco. I think he He's a good addition if Ren can keep him fit. Um, I'm a big fan of Ntep. I think him being inside that team will add an extra dimension to them. Um, I really like the Terrier move from Leon as well. I think he'll be excellent when he does a uh, does fully join the team in the uh, in the summer. But whether he'll play is, a, is a, another question entirely. Really, to be fair, um, but I. I think I'm going to go with uh, Milisevic uh, for Mets. Um, we talked about him on the Monday show, and he, he just added a little bit of extra um, dynamism to the midfield, really, of, of Mets. He he adds a little bit more than maybe Coad can do it at his age at the moment and just gives them a little bit extra that they've possibly needed. And they look a deeper team now, which is, which is great to see, and they, they're more competitive with that kind of player there as well. Um so least favourite moves, and this can be moves out of Liga as well. So I'll open it a little bit more to this one. So I'll start with you this time, Sam. Um, what's your least favourite move in this window? Um, I'm just going to go with Marseille in general. Uh, they had they just a huge opportunity to to solidify their themselves as the at least third best third best team in France. Uh, you know, after the last weekend, Leon losing. Uh, they picked up a point in this battle for the top three. I mean, this top three is just huge for the the project, the Champions Project. Um, to do nothing at all, you know, when the teams around them, all the teams around them didn't spend a lot of money. As Adam mentioned, PSG bringing in Diara for free, Monaco not spending a huge amount and selling someone as well. Leon just signing young players, but at least they've all done something. Marseille have done nothing. And there are just, there are gaps in that squad. You know, they've got Europa League games coming up. This just seems like a huge missed opportunity for a team. And, and if they end up finishing fourth, I think you really have to look back at this window and, and what could have been. So, uh, Adam, what do you think? Um, I've got a couple. Um, firstly, Lucas Moura moving to Spurs. I, I agree with Neymar in that I, I'm amazed he was allowed to leave. And I, I realise I'm in a minority, as we discussed before on the pod, but I think Lucas Moura is a fantastic player and capable of offering PSG something they don't have really from anybody else. And always affects the game. Was a second top goal scorer and assist provider uh, in in all of in all competitions last season, and has been criminally underused this year. And I'm very disappointed to see him go as well. As Neymar came out and said, he seemed to be very harshly criticising Emery about <laughs> not for the first time about um, about that sort of thing, and, and saying that you know he felt he should be used more and he shouldn't be allowed to leave. And I, I would be on board with that. The second one was Toulouse, um, taking, taking a team that is in in uh, sort of in general. Um, they signed Mubele. Um, which kind of sums up kind of the issue that he's a similar kind of player, he's a forward that, to, sort of in a similar mould to ones they already have, and they really think they lack creativity. They signed to sign, tried to sign Clement Grenier as well. He, that, to be fair, to, to lose Clement Grenier, turn him down, but he would have been the perfect sort of player. And I really felt like if they couldn't sign him, then they should have gone for a similar sort of player instead of signing Mubele. Although he may be useful and he may score him a few goals, um, I just think that it's not fixing the problem that they have, which is lack of creativity. And Grenier would have done that. So I'm disappointed they didn't try and go for a similar sort of player. So Lucas Moore and, and Mubele, although nothing against Mubele, he's a good player. 
Mm, yeah, I think Miley's favourite one came relatively early, and that's uh, Vincent Cosiello uh, heading to Cologne. Uh, I think we'll all miss um, what mm. could have been, it seems, still for, for Cosiello. He's, he's bit, not really played for them yet because they're on a on a real tear at the moment in Germany as well. But um, he was a fantastic footballer a couple of years ago. He, he was, ironically, the our young player of the season, the same season that Usman Dembele came through the ranks, it was it was a real toss-up between the two. And because of the extra six months he had, we picked Cosiello. And it's just a shame that he's never really realised his potential in Nice. And it's also probably a shame that no one else in Liga tried to take a risk on him. If someone like Cologne managed to attract him, yes, obviously, uh, German football has a little bit more money. They, it's a fantastic city and a fantastic stadium and a, a club with great potential if they can stay in the Bundesliga. But they look... Still now, even though they've sort of clawed back a lot of points, they they still look like they'll be in a dogfight for a long time to come. It's just a surprise that you know, I'm thinking of maybe a Saint-Étienne's, maybe a, maybe a Rennes, maybe a Nantes even. Didn't throw their hat in the ring or at least try a little bit harder to keep him in the, in the French League, which is such a shame. Hopefully he does blossom well in, in the Bundesliga and maybe makes a comeback someday to French football. That would be nice. But uh, hopefully his talent hasn't been fully wasted um, with his time at... Um, He's really ending on a sour note, if anything. Um, let's head on now to our league and previews. And I've, we've just got three games this week, obviously, because the transfer window would try and limit it a little bit more. And I wanted to start with an interesting one on Saturday between Amiens and Saint-Étienne. Now, I wanted to talk about the wayside to start off with, um, Adam, because they've had a number of different changes this winter window. Obviously, they have a different manager in Jean-Louis Gasset. They have five new players, five players going out the door. I mean, there's a few that we haven't mentioned this evening in terms of going out because Leo Lacroix has gone on loan to um, to Basel in Sweden. Um, it, Leo Stioni has gone on loan to uh, Bristol City. Alexander Soderlund has headed back to Rosenberg as well. Uh, Usman Tanan's come back on loan, so he's back at the club as well. Um, a lot of different changes here. They they were okay at the weekend. They obviously grabbed the win they need, but it wasn't at all convincing. Um, it's well, they need these players to gel and gel quickly, don't they? They do. They really do. You're, you're right that it, it wasn't convincing against Carl last weekend, but I think that that won't matter too much to Sanetian. I think they just need points. I just think this is the, the season they just need to get over with, to stay in the league and the move on. Um, it's been, an, like I said, it's been an absolutely terrible year for them and uh, arguably the worst, if not one of, if, you know, one of the worst in, in, in their history. So, yeah, they definitely need these players to gel. And as I said, with Debushi, it feels that they've signed experience, like Subotic, obviously, he's very experienced players, Cabello and Jan Vio. Cabello, of course, came in in the summer. Um, they, 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 as I said before as well, they're sort of very a disparate group of players. So, yeah, they definitely need, they definitely need to gel quickly. I think also, I think, that they need a, a manager who's going to have a little bit more direction. Obviously, Jean-Louis Gasset is a very experienced coach and traditionally an assistant coach. He was to Laurent Blanc for a long time. He was at Montpellier too. Um, but I really think that they, Garcia, in hindsight, was actually quite a good appointment in terms of direction. It felt like that they had some sort of purpose under him, although they did, they, you know, results weren't as good as they would have hoped, perhaps. They started the season very well. I think looking forward, once they get out of this season, then... They need to look for another sort of, not necessarily marquee appointment as manager, but they need a they need a, a manager who's going to give them a bit more direction. But if you look at their first eleven now, it's, it, it looks like a good team. You sort of think, you know, Rufu in goal, and you've got Subutich, Peran, Debushi, and uh, Gabriel Simmons being all right. Uh, then you've got Cabello and Via. Uh, Deuce is a good player as well in midfield, a young young chap, and and Tep, Hamuma, Bamba, Beric. They've got options up front too. So on paper, it's a decent team. It's just whether they can, as you said, gel soon. 
and whether they can maintain sort of form between now and the end of the year and not get sucked into the, the bottom three come May. Yeah, and they face an Amiens side who slowly but surely have sl slided back into the mire, really. They had a really excellent end to November that made us think that maybe they, they were on to staying in the league, but they've only won one of their last eight, one being a draw against Montpellier, and they've only scored five goals in that time. The anomaly being that 3-1 win over Gangomp has sort of boosted that stat a lot more. They've had a lot of games where it's finished 1-0, 1-0 and 2-0. Are you starting to fear for them now in this second half of the season, Sam, that maybe with games coming up, I mean, Saint-Étienne, um, they're changing, but Bordeaux looked a much better team against uh, uh, Lyon. They've got Nantes coming up and, and Rennes in the next five games as well. Um, are you starting to worry that maybe the dream is, is slowly fading away from them? Yeah, I mean, I think you've, you've pointed out two things there that are really important, that they've got four points since November in the league. I mean that's that's terrible. There's no way to dress that up, and that the games ahead of them are not are not easy wins. There are no, there are no. I mean, there are not a lot of easy wins in this league anymore. I mean, even Mets at the bottom have shown that they're winning games. Everyone's scrambling away to to stay up, and we all thought, as you said, Amiens <clears throat> had put themselves in a position where they were relatively safe, but they're not anymore. They're they're a point out of the you know point away from 18th, and. Yeah, this this is a very very important game, not just for Saint Etienne. And obviously, we focus we focus on Saint Etienne because of the history of that club, and no one wants to see them go down. But Amiens, you know, have been fun. They've they've really brought something to the league, and this is a game that if they win it, is huge as well because it really pushes them away from that drop zone. It pushes a lot of teams between them and relegation. And the form they're in, they they really need to start getting some points because the teams around them are doing that. Yeah, my real worry for Amiens really is this: this February March period, I think, is massive for them because in April May, I mean, the last six games of the season is away to Lyon, home to Strasbourg, away to Monaco, home to Paris Saint Germain, home to a Met side that might still be fighting for their lives as well. Finish away to Marseille. That is a murderer's row <laughs> for six. Four of those six games you absolutely don't want at the end of the season. And if they are in the mire, they might not be able to pull themselves back out of it. So those games, I mean, those five games are tough. They've got a little spell between then Dijon, Trois, Lille, Caen. Maybe that's the sort of spell where they definitely need to grab the points before that sort of um, agonising end to the season because that does not look favourable for them, shall we say. That might be the uh, the political way of saying it. Um, let's go for some predictions, and I'll start with you then, Sam. Um, what's your prediction in this one? I think San Etienne are going to um, throw away the habit of uh, being just terrible away from home this season. I think you're going to win this 1-0. Adam? Uh, one each for me. Yeah, I think I'm going to go for a 2-0 Santa Tia and win. I'm, I'm beginning to fear for Amiens. I think if they don't pick up some sort of, get on some kind of run sooner rather than later, that end of season is going to absolutely spring on them forward. Um, on to another game that's an interesting one with two interesting sides at the moment in Strasbourg and, and Bordeaux. And I, I want to focus on the away oh the uh, let's start yeah let's start with the away side um, and Bordeaux picked up a great win at the weekend that absolutely no one saw coming really I mean in all honesty I don't think anyone would have put money on Bordeaux to beat uh, Leon 3-1 although farcical diving and, and such a side um, it, it was it was a great point and a great start for Gus Poye who's got a couple more players in and now where they are in the table a couple of wins maybe puts you in about sixth which is absolutely insanity to think that Lecan yeah. is so close like that at the moment and this is a result that they got last weekend that they need to build on at Strasbourg. Absolutely um, given when you look about the previous 
game against Strasbourg. They lost 3-0 at home. They were absolutely terrible. That game, that goal Martin Terrier scored where he sort of walked through the defence. Like, they're just, you know, absolutely no resistance whatsoever for the third goal, I think it was. And, and they were absolutely terrible in that game. But the, the, the difference between um, Gorvenek Bordeaux and non-Gorvenek Bordeaux is incredible. And I, I, I'm, I'm surprised at that because I, I feel, as we've mentioned before, Gorvenek is a good coach. And you know he got he felt like he got a bit of a, a raw deal at, at Bordeaux and didn't really work out for him. But the, the, to the extent that which Bordeaux have picked up since, it really feels like one we're wrong about. Perhaps we're wrong about Gorvenek, or there really was a division in the camp that really he had completely lost some of the dressing room. But since he's gone, they were really good against um, against Nantes. Uh, won that game one 0 away from home, and they they um, were as you mentioned actually fantastic against against Leon last week. Leon were perhaps a bit. Looked a little bit lethargic, but Poyet, although you, he has flaws as a coach, and it's not always gone gone the way he would have he would have liked in certain positions throughout his managerial career. He he is a, you know he in the short term at least he can be a motivational uh, influence, and you know he kept Sunderland up that that first season, and he he has qualities that Bordeaux need at the moment. So it might work out to be the right sort of fit in the short term. And if you look at Bordeaux's form overall, they they obviously won that that game against twice. Well, they actually won three of the last four games. And on paper, they're just still a very good team, even without Toulon and and um, and a few others who 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 left in the summer. And if you are, I've been out of form, you know, Cappy's not been in the team. Depravy was sort of only returned to form recently. So um, I think that if they can build on that win, then you're right; they could be up in the top seven. And suddenly, you know, if Nissan or Nantes drop off, they could be looking at Europa League all of a sudden, which was their target at the beginning of the season anyway. So. It's. I think that says more about the league being extremely tight than Bordeaux's form, but it's it's possible. And you know, who knows if Porto can keep this sort of intensity going? There was so much more. Played so much more intensity last week, which is great to see. Um, then yeah, they could absolutely, absolutely uh, start challenging in the in the top third of the table, which would be craziness when you think about how they've been. Yeah, absolutely nothing. That's league going at the moment, really. And a side that sort of epitomises that at the moment, Sammy, Strasbourg. I mean, they seem to be the sort of Jekyll and Hyde club of league going at the moment. They had an excellent start to December, beating Paris Saint-Germain and Bordeaux, and then Toulouse as well, and then lost just before the winter break to Metz 3-0, which came out of nowhere. Started the January with two defeats, one to Gangon at home, one to Marseille away, which is forgivable, and a, a great game against Dijon that, managed to nick a win but they they weren't great against Lille they did reply quite quickly at least but they Bigori Karamara needed to be forced to make a lot of sort of saves and and help them out quite a bit um they are still sat in 12th it's still in that kind of crazy moment but they're aside there at the moment you can't really predict yeah I mean you're right they totally epitomize everyone from sort of fourth down to about 20th at this point in Liga, you just you can't predict what they're going to do from week to week. And I mean, uh, to use the word again, but epitomizing that, the fact they beat and lost to Lille within three days, uh, you know, that just shows you really cannot predict what they're going to do. And But the thing you can predict is they're going to concede a lot of goals. They're con- they are giving away so many goals. Um, they're not keeping clean sheets at all. They're not scoring enough to, to make up for that. They score a lot for the bottom half of the league. You know, which is why they are where they are. It's why they're sort of relatively comfortably mid-table and not further down. But they have a real problem with letting the opposition score. Um, you know, and that's not how you stay in the league. And that's all this season is about for them. I mean, they've got big plans. The project there is quite serious about being a long-term league and club again. 
and really building on this, but but staying up obviously is incredibly vital to that plan. And you know, games like this against Bordeaux, they wouldn't have expected really coming into the season possibly to be in with a, a really good chance of beating Bordeaux. But but you know, Bordeaux too are a very Jekyll and Hyde side. You know, they were excellent against Leon, uh, as Adam said, but there's every chance they'll turn up terrible again this weekend. So it's, it's a game that Strasbourg really need, really need to try and win and, and they need to score goals because, as I've said, they, they will concede. Yeah, because you're looking at... Uh, I mean, they've got Tuan next week as well. That, that's an interesting game for them really to win. But they that's the thing at the moment. If you lose a game, you're right back in the mire really if, if all the teams around them start winning. And then if you win a game, all of a sudden you've maybe got some breathing space for at least a week maybe until maybe the next issue comes around the corner. But they just need to try and pull a little bit further away. If, if you're going in sort of the April time, this, this kind of squad they, they've got that isn't particularly deep, really. If you're going into that final couple of months of the season, still trying to fight your way out of the sort of um, melee that's sort of gone into the middle of the league and then they, they might really fall in, back into the pit. And that, with the project they have, of, and it's an exciting one at that, if they can stay in Liga, um, in terms of being a, a stable club in, in the top division, it, it's really vital that they do that. Um, so let's go for predictions again. Uh, Adam, what do you think of this one? I think it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, Strasbourg good at home. Um, two all? Mm, I, I think I'm going to go for a 2-1 Strasbourg win. I, I just think this this is their moment to nick a game because next week they'll face a twice side that they probably should be beating at home and they'll probably lose. Um, so they'll probably be nice enough for this one and grab a victory. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go 1-0 Strasbourg. I think Bordeaux will be a shadow of what they were against Leon because the one thing that's been consistent about this them this season has been inconsistency. Mm, yeah, and getting up for a game against Leon isn't too difficult. Poyer motivating them to try and uh, get a result at Strasbourg might be a little bit uh, tougher, really, in all honesty, uh, because Sunday there's going to be another cracker in three weeks, and we've been treated every single weekend to one a fantastic game, and this one has a lot to live up to, really, given the other ones in, that Leon have been involved in against uh, PSG, and then uh, uh, Monaco. Marseille was excellent last weekend, and Monaco now faced Leon themselves. Um, Let's start with the all-the-way side, uh, Adam, and they really struggled against uh, Bordeaux. They seemed half asleep for a lot of that game, really. Um, they were lethargic. They didn't really get up to much. It was also weird decisions by by um, Genesio to decide to take off um, Tussar. I know he's trying to probably be more attacking, but bringing off Tussar and, and bringing on uh, Memphis just seemed like a, a strange tactical decision that didn't really help matters in any kind of form. Um, is that... It's, deflating for the players given that they had an excellent result really against Paris Saint-Germain maybe were building to at least some kind of title fight but it's just petered away straight away again in a game that they should have been winning yeah it's yeah it must be really deflating because all that good work they did against PSG where they were brilliant and and deserved their win or in extenuating circumstances you know with Alves getting sent off but they were you know it was a really hard fought win and then to go away to Bordeaux who'd been terrible for such a long time and get, you know, in the end, it, it was a bit of a battering and um, Bordeaux fully deserved their win. And it kind of undoes all that good work that they did the week before and PSG are back 11 points clear. And the sort of glimpse of a title race seems to have sort of vanished almost immediately. Um, one, one thing that's I'm really looking forward to seeing or sort of going forward with Leon in this game and, and beyond is how Genesio fits his players into his team because Undumbele has been has been so good in recent weeks that 
he's become undraftable and and he, he wasn't necessarily first choice you know he was in and out of team played a lot of games but a few games he didn't start too and he's now left with Fakir who has to start obviously captain their best player Indon Bele Toussaint who has to start our obviously has to start he's been absolutely brilliant this season Mariano's for any real central striker and then you've got obviously Depay and 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 Bertrand Traore and, and obviously you can't, all seven of those players can't play and then if Indombele is this good and he keeps playing this well, um, he's so dynamic in that midfield role, he kind of uses up one of the places that that Awa would fit into. And I think Awa is much better in a central midfield role than he is in a, on a wide left role. Um, and then if you if you end up moving him forward, you get less out of him and you, he knocks one of Bertrand Troy or Denfis Depay out of the team. And, um, you know, you've got problems there. Or you move Fakir wide and I think he's worse there too. So it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle and how he fits them all into, into this team. And I think if Lyon are going to finish second and get straight into the Champions League group stages, which is a huge prize for one of those three teams chasing PSG in, in Monaco and, and Marseille, and obviously, which is up, sort of semi up for grabs this weekend. It'd be a, a huge swing one way or the other if a team was to win this Monaco-Lyon game. Um, how he fits those, those guys into his team and, and if he can do it effectively would be crucial to, to Lyon taking that second place. So. Um, it's, it's sort of a bit of a, a difficult sort of conundrum for him. Obviously, the classic good good situation to have, but he needs to keep our Undumbele, Toussaint Fakir, and Mariano playing the way they have been for the rest of the season. Otherwise, you know they they could drop off. There might be some difficult decisions to be made in that in that midfield. And coming up against Monaco as well, who've kind of switched that similar formation of three midfielders. Um, it, it might prove, you know, that in this game in particular, that it, it could have ramifications as, as soon as the weekend. So um, I, I really like to see how he's going to handle that. And he may have to drop one of those players. And, you know, he might have some unhappy players <laughs> uh, uh, on his bench on Sunday night and for the rest of the season. Mm, yeah, absolutely. What, what keeps astounding me about Leon, and especially in that game as well, is I don't really understand why they start Maxwell Cornet, really. He was no. he was really ineffectual against Bordeaux and they took forever to take him off. Instead, they took off Toussaint early unless it was um, because of a possible knock or something like that. It just yeah. seems strange that they kept the winger on for so long. I mean, he, he managed to make 63 minutes, but I, I can barely remember him touching a ball and he, he's yeah, been really ineffectual this season. I know Bertrand Traore is maybe not quite hit the ground as running as much as they hoped for, but Depay is at least affected games with goals you would think that maybe mm. they'd start him on the left and maybe have um, Awar on the right or or even swap them over or or try Torreori because Corne started the last couple of games and isn't it even in the Paris he, he was starting in the Paris Saint-Germain game to memory wasn't he as well it's it yeah. just it didn't really affect the game I, I don't I don't really understand why he kept on playing him it's not um, a bit of a strange one really um mm. on to the hosts at the weekend really and they had a a fantastic game, really, on on Sunday night. The game against Marseille was a real barnstormer again, Sam. It was end to end. There were some great goals. Uh, Kaitabalde scored the first one. That was a superb finish. Fabinho was absolutely magnificent for the second one as well. They still seem a bit weak at the back again. You worry about that midfield. That is there really the, the strength in there that there was last season? It is every week seems to be dissipating. But more importantly, um, this is the last big game really until mid-April when they face Paris Saint-Germain at the Pot de Prince again in week 33. So it's, it's a long while before they face a big team again. But it's the last time, obviously, they'll face one of those teams around them with Marseille and Lyon facing each other uh, um, later down the line. Um, this is a really big game for them, Risley. It's, it, would you say it's must-win? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is the the last chance to really stop 
Leon from from getting away. I mean, if Leon win this game, they're four points clear, and we know how consistent the the three chasing sides, uh, you know, Leon, Marseille, and Monaco have been this season. We know that four points is a big big gap, and if Monaco are fourth by <clears throat> by some margin after losing this game, after not beating Marseille. And they, put, they weren't the better side against Marseille either. Marseille probably could feel a little bit unlucky to have not won that game. The amount of chances they had to score to, to extend their lead and then to, to retake their lead. Monaco were a little bit lucky to get a draw there. and They are, they are the chasers now. And it's difficult for them because they've not been in this position all last season. They were the leaders. They were being chased um, in most of this season too. You know, they've been second. They've been the ones who've been chased by these others. Now they're in a real different situation and we, we know that they have problems. We know that Falcao's goals have covered up so much of that and that when those goals dried up in the last month or so, some, some of the points dried up as well. Um, if Falcao isn't able to lift and, and to, to help, Mon- help Monaco win this game, beat Leon, or at the very least get a draw, it's very, very difficult for Monaco to, to catch back up uh, to those top three places. And that's, it's just huge for Monaco for everything that their system is built around the, the whole system of bringing in these exciting young players, building them up, getting them on show in the champions league and then selling them on this whole thing. It won't fall apart, but it, it will take a big blow if they, if they do miss the champions league. Yeah. And it's going to be a real, another Titanic clash and probably the most difficult bit of our show tonight is predicting the result in this one. So I'll go with you first, Adam. Um, what do you think in this one? A uh, three, one Leon. Uh, uh, Sam, oh boy, that sounds very exciting. Um, if uh, if Adam's prediction comes true, that's going to be a cracking game of football. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit more modest and say a two-one Leon. Mm. Ah, I fancy this one to be a really good one again. Um, these games between the top four this season have been absolutely terrific. I think almost every single one of them has had a little bit of something about them, and uh, I think this won't be any different. I, I think this is going to be about 3-2, Leon. I, I think this is going to be a real cracking game. Uh, Monaco's defence really worries me, but um, their ability to just nick goals in games all season long, really. I mean, I'm, d- I'm just looking at the results now. Other than the, the Montpellier game, in all of January, they scored 5-2, two, 2-3, two, 2 Two and two. So I'll go with two again. So three, two. <laughs> um, so that's all that we have for this week. My thanks to Adam, Sam, and all of you listening at home. Do join us again for the main show on Monday. But for now, enjoy your weekend of football. <laughs>